You return to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians 6. We have been speaking of prayer <clears throat> for the last several weeks. And we want to bring it to a close uh, with this message this morning. And it's prayer as warfare. Prayer as warfare. Now, <clears throat> what do I mean when I say prayer as warfare? Well, I mean this, that... Uh, there are wonderful parts of prayer that we enjoy and are sweet and are blessed. Uh, but there's another angle on prayer. And it's prayer as warfare. We don't like to think of it, but we're involved in a war. And it, it behooves us to really think about it and actually consider it because you know, the enemy never stops thinking about the fact that we're, we're involved in a warfare. And we can carry along and <clears throat> disregard it if we like, but what happens is we're, we're, we're going to get snared at some point by the enemy. Uh, he's going to throw something at us that's actually going to uh, cost us and take us down. So, so we need to <clears throat> recognize the fact that we're in a warfare. Well, let me put it in a story form for you. A uh, long time ago, God created a world. And he created a world that would bring glory and honor to his name. Uh, it was a, a work he did that, that showed his wonder and his brilliance and his creativity and the beauty uh, of our God and, and, and also his love. And at the top of everything in the creation, he put mankind. And he gave mankind a test, just a very simple test. He wanted to know if man would choose him. Now, it's kind of hard to say God wanted to know because God knew before what was going to happen, so he had planned uh, for all of it. But he wanted man to choose him and to love him because somehow he wanted relationship with man. And so he placed man in this perfect world and man enjoyed his presence and everything that he had provided for, for him. And then the enemy, Satan, crept into the garden one day and tempted Eve, and she said yes and ate the fruit, and she offered it to Adam, and Adam ate the fruit. And basically what he did was uh, he took control of the planet, he took control of the earth, and he became, uh, in a sense, only in a sense, uh, the leader. And since that time, there's been a warfare going on. And it's not that, you know, we're caught in the middle. We're not caught in the middle. We're actually the whole ground of the warfare. I mean, the planet is only one of limitless number of, numbers of planets. It's not the earth that God is interested in. It's you and I. So we are the basis of this warfare. And what you have is you have God on the one side inviting us into loving relationship with him. He's willing to undo what happened in the curse in our lives if we'll come into loving relationship with him. And we have the enemy fighting tooth and nail to hold on to that ground. Now, when Jesus came, he defeated the enemy. Satan was defeated. Satan uh, effectively was crushed at that point. But God didn't remove him from the picture as yet. He left him here. And Satan somehow thinks maybe or perhaps stronger than maybe in his pride, that one day he's going to get the under, upper hand and he's going to actually take over all of it. And he fights, and the battleground is not the world, but us. It's the people in the world. Satan wants everybody to remain under his authority. And God is inviting us into loving relationship. 
So that we're in the midst of a battle. We're in the midst of, <clears throat> uh, of a war. And <clears throat> prayer actually puts us in the picture of the war. Because as we live our lives, we just say, hey, you know, it's buildings, it's cars, it's roads, it's, it's just life. But when we actually come to prayer uh, and we begin to pray on the level of warfare, uh, then we begin to understand what, exactly what's going on. Right, let me read you a quote from S.D. Gordon. <clears throat> and then we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, or part of it anyway. Uh, the earth is in a state of war. It is being heartily besieged, and so no one must use war talk to grasp the facts that which prayer is concerned Prayer from God's side is communication between himself and his allies in the enemy country. Prayer is, from God's side, communication between himself and his allies in the enemy country. Prayer is the communication we have. So, yes, we're, we're going to look this morning at the fact that we have communication with God. We have communion with God. Sweet and wonderful. We're going to look at the fact that we ask God for things. We have petition. But there's also something more. We're, we're, we're not here just to exist till we die and go to heaven. We're here to be involved in a warfare, and we're here to follow the one that has won and to claim the territory that he has won. He's given us a part in what he's doing. So let's pray, and then we'll look at our text. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this morning. Thank you for your people. And Lord, we come to you today, and we ask you, Lord, for your blessing upon this time. Lord, we're going to look at the enemy, and we know he doesn't like that. Uh, Lord, would you protect from him? Would you put your hand uh, upon this service and put your hand upon anything uh, that could come in to disrupt your service? And Lord, uh, that we might hear from you, Lord, in these moments. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you come down and would you teach us? Uh, Lord, I know that my words are not enough, but Lord, when you teach, eyes open, hearts open. And Lord, people see spiritually truth. Would you do it? Would you undertake for us now? And bless us. Help us to be uh, the warriors that we can indeed be. And Lord, your hand and your strength be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me say this. You and I are going to do a lot of things in our lives. A lot of things that really are not of huge consequence. Some things are going to be spiritual uh, in their their drive. And they're going to seem to us of more consequence than, uh, than other things. But do you know that we do nothing as powerful as pray? Nothing is as powerful as when we pray. Now, it's no wonder when you think of it from that side that uh, it's so hard for us to get to that place of prayer. It's so hard for us to get to that place where we're really doing business with God. It's no wonder there are so many distractions, disruptions, things to get you away from it. Because there's nothing you're doing that's more powerful than when you're in communion with the living God uh, and in communion on the basis of what we're talking about this morning as far as prayer is concerned. Now let's read the text. We're going to start in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll tease our way through it and then we're going to read some other texts and then we'll look at the points of our message, right? Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Right? <clears throat> so he says, be strong. Right? Be strong in the, power of, in, in the Lord and in the power of his might. When it comes to this warfare that we're involved in, we have no strength of our own. We are no match uh, for a supernatural foe like Satan. But we have great strength in the Lord. 
Right? We need to walk close to him. Uh, you know, he, he's going to talk about all the armor. We're not going to go into detail about all the armor this morning. We'll, we'll read through it. Uh, but, you know, the, the most important part of the armor that you're going to have on you at any time is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You're going to walk in the Lord. You're going to recognize the power comes from him. The moment that you think you can handle the battle on your own, and we do, don't we? We do sometimes. This is, I'm doing good. I, I can handle it. The moment you think you're, you're, you're finished, because the enemy is a, is a foe that you cannot win over. Your strength has got to be in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, let me ask you, do you think the power of his might could ever lack against the enemy? Do you think the power of his might is, is ever insufficient for the need? No. Do you have anything to fear in this fight? No. You have nothing to fear in this fight. Because the power of his might is more than sufficient to actually <clears throat> do all that, that is needed for the battle. You know, <clears throat> uh, that was proven, by the way, in the resurrection. In the resurrection, Satan thought he had won. He, he had Jesus dead. He was going to keep him dead. And he was going to stop him from rising from the dead, but he couldn't. On that first Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, Jesus walked out of the tomb alive and well. He crushed Satan. He just he, he won. At that point, I think there was no more fight in him, but you know what? He's gotten some of the fight back, and he's, and he's continuing to work today. But understand this, that you have nothing to fear in this battle. You're never going to end up with a day where you're facing the enemy, and you're on your own. You've got to remember... That the power is in him, not in you. You see, sin will separate us. Pride is sin, and pride is probably the one thing that comes between us and his power and separates us from him uh, in this. And that's when you get hurt. Now, you're not sufficient by yourself, but in him. If we really bought into this truth, what what we would do is, the most important thing about our lives would be, okay, am I walking close to the Lord today? Yeah, we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about faith in prayer. We've been talking about, you know, <clears throat> uh, the will of God in prayer. We've been talking about the word of God in prayer. And all those things stir our hearts wonderfully because we want that. But not only do we want that, but we desperately need that. We need to walk with him. We need to be, <clears throat> be in him. Uh, <clears throat> our, our power is in him. And he says, then put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. God has not left you uh, armorless. He's given you armor to wear. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, <clears throat> let's think for a second. Why, why would somebody wear armor? Well, they would wear armor because they were in danger. But typically, the, the reason you wear armor is because you're going into battle and you're in danger. Because there's a fight on and you're in danger, so you wear your armor. In that kind of a situation, what you would do is you would typically check your armor. You would maybe even have a friend. Hey, listen, is everything looking good here on this armor? Uh, <clears throat> am I, am I, I mean, uh, is everything in place? Have I, have I missed anything? You would be very careful to wear your armor. Your armor would be very important to you. You're in a warfare. We need to wear the armor. We need to understand that we need this armor. We need to wear this armor. Um, 
Verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We, we, we don't fight against each other. Don't we feel like sometimes we're fighting against each other? Uh, don't we feel like the, the battle is all on the human level? And it's people, they're driving me mad. They're doing this, they're doing that. The, the world is doing this. Other Christians are doing this. And, and we can see our battle as being all on human terms. It's not. In fact, that's not where you're supposed to be looking at all. You're supposed to understand that the battle is a spiritual one. Now, the enemy will fire people up. He will use people against you, that's for sure. But you've got to look beyond it. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you been doing well spiritually? You've been <clears throat> uh, walking with God and things have, been, things have been going well. And all of a sudden, you, 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 you had a problem with somebody. And because of the problem you had with somebody, you slipped out of that sweet place. And you ended up in a place where you were no longer walking so closely with God. Now, typically what you'll do there is just say, it's that person's fault. If they hadn't done this, I'd still be walking with God. No. That's not what happened. What happened is the enemy went after you and he was successful. You gave in. <clears throat> you see, you're supposed to put, put on the whole armor of God, right? <clears throat> Why? That you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles? His tricks. He is a slippery, slimy customer. Have you, have you noticed that about him? He is a slippery, slimy customer. He has customer. He has lots of tricks. He has lots of, uh, of plays he will bring into your life. Lots of deceptions that he'll bring into your life. And you and I need to be aware of those. When we wear the armor, we need to be aware we're in a battle. And our enemy is looking to deceive us, and he's good at it. He's caught me out the right number of times, and he's probably caught you out the right number of times, too. He's a slippery, sli a slimy customer. He will, he will trick you whenever he can and get you off base. He will send in a fiery dart. And you know what? You can lose a week or two weeks or three weeks struggling uh, with an explosion in your mind of something that was nothing. But he just sent it in. And it took over in your life. You've got to understand what a fiery dart is. You've got to understand what the enemy is doing in your life when he sends those fiery darts in. You get all bent out of shape about something and it just hits you the wrong way and you get emotionally involved in it and everything else. And, and you know what? Very often there's, there's a dart. If you notice something, if you're walking along and everything is going fine, and all of a sudden something happens and it goes kapoom in your mind and your whole day is ruined and maybe your week is ruined and so on, you've got to ask yourself if there was a fiery dart. Now, now, let me say this to you about a fiery dart. Fiery dart, a good deception will always have an element of truth in it. There's always an element of truth. And you can focus on the element of truth and say, but it's true. Or you can say, hang on a minute, this is from the enemy. Now, if you focus on the element of truth, what you're going to do is you're going to try to sort the person out who did it to you. And you're going to miss the whole point. The whole point is the enemy sent a fiery dart. And you're the only way to deal with a, sh with a fiery dart. Your shield of faith. You've got to hold it up and catch the fiery dart. That's the only thing you can do with the fiery dart. Otherwise, it will just burn uh, and cause you problems. But he's good. He's clever. Uh, he knows how to go after us. Um, <clears throat> verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. There's a day in your life when the enemy goes after you, and you know those days, they're horrible days. 
And, you know, what you've what you got to do is you've got to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, you stay standing by the end of the day. You're probably not going to achieve very much spiritually that day, but you know what? You don't go down with it. I, and I'm not going to talk to you about all the armor, because we'll, we'll, we'll spend the whole message doing what I do, right? We're going to go to verse 18, but let's, let's read down through the armor. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Look at verse 18, though. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. If we were in a war situation, and we'll say all the men folk in the room were gone next Sunday because they had gone to the war, and it was dangerous, and people's lives were being lost, what do you think the focus of the women who were left in the church next Sunday would be? They would pray, wouldn't they? They would pray. What do you think the focus would be during the week? They would pray. Their hearts would be crying out to God, Lord. Watch over our men, folk. Watch over uh, my man. Watch over <clears throat> uh, our men. Watch over our sons. Watch over all of us. Do you know what happens, though? We're in a spiritual warfare. And because we're not aware, because it's not urgent like that, because it's not like, you know, uh, anybody's gone or there's anything physical to notice, we forget very often to pray for each other. We forget this is war. This is war, and the enemy's, the enemy's going after people right and left, and he will do all he can to tear down and to destroy. And you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to pray for each other. Pray for yourself, but we're supposed to pray for each other. There's a warfare involved in this. We're supposed to be in the place where we're crying out to God for each other because just as though we were gone to a war zone, we're involved in a war. Now, let, let me read you some other verses here. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, t- the text, and you can read them yourself later on, right? Second Corinthians 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. First of all, again, you have the idea that, that you know, <clears throat> we walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. You can't stomp your foot and stand up to Satan and expect to win. You just can't do it. That's not going to work. You don't war after the flesh. You war in prayer. You war on a spiritual level. You cry out to God. You can get bent out of shape. You can have meetings till the cows come home about what you're going to do uh, about spiritual warfare. It's not going to count. You can petition the government. It's not going to count. You can do whatever you like. The only thing that's going to avail when it comes to this warfare, when it comes to dealing with the enemy, is spiritual. You're going to have to pray. Um, our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You know, the enemy builds strongholds uh, in our minds, and the strongholds are, <clears throat> are powerful places where he operates, and we often don't even know they're there. And the only way for you to win in that situation is for them to be torn down. And the only way to tear them down is through prayer. That's the only way. 
you know, we get frustrated with people, we get bothered with things that are going on with them, and we miss the point, we miss the reality, you know. What hap- what's happening here is there's, there's a stronghold. Or tear down the stronghold. In your own life, you need to take and you need to recognize, you know what, when I've got something going on in my mind and in my heart and in my life that is in opposition to Scripture, and I'm accepting it, that's a stronghold. And I've got to bring my thinking online with Scripture and say, no, Lord, take it away. And when you actually come to the place where you, where, where you begin to fight it spiritually, you can win. A stronghold can be taken out of your life. And a stronghold can guide your life. That's the purpose of having a stronghold built in you, uh, to guide your life. To have you happy to do his bidding, not God's, uh, but Satan's. To have you happy to do his bidding and think it's okay. <clears throat> um, Colossians 2 verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's Jesus, what he did to Satan with the cross. He spoiled them. He ruined them. He defeated them. He overcame Satan and his powers, right? Um, <clears throat> Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you know that's not just good advice for you? That's absolutely essential for you in this warfare. The area where you let your mind run in something that you know is, you know, this is not what God wants, but you know what, I'm just going to let it run anyway because it's sweet or because, uh, for whatever reason, you know, bitterness, immorality, it doesn't matter what it is, but the area that you let your mind run uh, is an area that the enemy's going to exploit. He is. He's going to take, he's going to exploit every weakness that you make available to him. So we need to understand that we're in a war here. And the war's pretty important. And you say, well, what's God doing in this war? Why did God leave me in this war? I don't think I'm able for this war. Well, here's the deal. The deal is the war's won. He has won the war. He has defeated the enemy for you. And what he wants you is he wants you, by faith, to take that ground and say, the war is won. I'm not giving in to the enemy. So much of Scripture is dealing with the fact that, you know, you're a victor. You have victory. You have won because you're in Jesus Christ. Now you say, but pastor, it doesn't feel like I've won anything. It doesn't feel like there's victory in my life. The reality is that we don't feel like there's victory when we're not living that victory. But when we, by faith, live the victory, yeah, there's going to be. There's going to be a roar from the enemy. But when we, by faith, live the victory, you know what? He's a defeated foe. He has to yield before you. There's a whole other message. But you know that God has given you authority over Satan and his demons? That you can actually call them down and tell them to get lost. You have no place or part in my life. I belong to Jesus Christ. I am under his blood. You have no place. Get lost. And you know what Satan will do? You know know what the enemy will do? You know what his demons will do? They will go. They will just go. Because Jesus Christ has given you authority over him. But what he wants you to do is he wants you by faith uh, to claim that authority and actually to live in that reality. And I, there's, there's lots more verses that, <clears throat> that, that are, uh, deal with this. But let me just, uh, let's just go to um, our message here. <clears throat> Prayer brings down the power to achieve God's plan. 
the earth is in a state of war. It is being heartily besieged, and so mo- one must use war talk to grasp the facts uh, that, that, of that which prayer is concerned. Prayer from God's side is communication between himself and his allies in the enemy country. If you went into a war zone, you know what? In this day and age, you would have a little thing in your ear, wouldn't you? And it would have a microphone attached to it, and you would be talking back and forth uh, to the commander and, uh, behind you. And he would be watching from a satellite what was going on with you and telling you what, what, what was happening and telling you what was around the next corner and telling you where to go and telling you what you needed to achieve and keep you giving you a running insight into what's going on in the battle. And you'd be very, very glad of it in that situation, right? You know what? That's what God wants to do in your life as far as the enemy is concerned. He wants you to be in communication with him at all times so that you're aware of what the enemy's doing in your life, so that you're staying plugged in. What we do, though, is, first of all, maybe maybe we never get to the place where with, with prayer we actually achieve that communion with God. And even if we do get to that place, it's very easy for us to step out of it for a while. Oh, well, life is tough. There's all these problems. And we step out of the place of communion. And when we step out of the place of communion, you know what? We don't know what's going on in the battle. First of all, we're totally ineffective as far as the commander-in-chief is concerned. But you know what? Maybe more importantly to us, at least, we don't know what's going on. And we're wandering blindly in the battle. So what we've got is we've got war talk, right? Ephesians 6.10, we've just read it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Keep that one in mind. If you don't remember anything else about Ephesians chapter 6, remember that it's in the the Lord and in the power of his might, because that's the only way you're going to win. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then verse 18, praying always. Now, what does praying always mean? Always praying. Now, that does not mean that you're supposed to be in a prayer meeting all the time. That does not mean that you're supposed to be kneeling by your bed at home praying all the time. But everywhere you go, you're supposed to be in communion. Praying always. If you get away and you find yourself not praying for a while, you find you've lost the communion, retrace your steps and find it again. You're supposed to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Hang in there. Persevere in prayer. You know, the, 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 the most important thing to us is prayer, and the easiest thing to get us off is prayer. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? You know, and by the way, I, I think we get some misconceptions about prayer. I think one of the misconceptions we have is, well, it, 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 it's about the number of hours or minutes that I spend praying. It's not. Now, you can spend hours and minutes. I mean, some of you have said the rosary millions of times in your lives, uh, and you know what? Uh, it was just purely an exercise in reciting something, wasn't it? That's all it was. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, when it comes to your praying, there needs to be communication with God. And <clears throat> like we looked at last week, you know, when it comes to communication with God, communication with God is not born out of, you know, a moment. It's born out of a life. I live so that I can have communication with God. That's the way it's supposed to be for us. 
But we're supposed to live in that place where we're having communion with God and where we're talking to him and where, where we're praying always with all prayer and supplication. Um, <clears throat> now, the three forms of prayer, we're going to go through them here fairly quickly. First of all, there's communion. We've been talking about that quite a bit, right? Uh, in Mark chapter 1, it's called the busy day in Jesus' life, right? Uh, the day before, actually. Uh, and it says the next day, right? He's been busy, busy, busy. So much has gone on in Mark chapter 1, right? Uh, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. He needed to commune with his father. What was happening to him all all the busy day? He was getting drained. And he needed communion with his father. You and I need communion with our father. And communion is just that sweet time uh, we spend with God uh, and we talk to him and um, and we just, listen, we glory in him. We, we just relax in, in, in his presence and we know his presence. And that's a sweet, sweet time in our lives. Now, the thing about it is, it's great and it's important and it's essential. And it's the food for your soul that you need. Right? But you know what? Your communion with God affects you. That's right. It's good. It's proper. But it affects you. Um, its influence is, is subjective. Now, the second form of prayer is this. It's petition. Right? Now, petition is... When I cry out to God for my needs and for the needs of others. And that's important. Um, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day, give us day by day our daily bread, right? <clears throat> what are we looking for? We're looking for um, God to take care of our needs. That's important for us. Right? It's important that we pray for others that their needs be met. And that's petition, that we're asking God to do those things. But oftentimes, our prayer lives are communion and petition, we're looking for things. There's another level uh, when it comes to our prayer life that we need to enter into. And it's this. <clears throat> and he said unto them, When ye pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. That's war talk. You look at yourself uh, and you're in a meeting with the king. Take it out of the heavenly perspective and you're in a meeting with the king. And uh, what you're saying is, your kingdom come. Your will be done. What you're doing is you're committing yourself to something. You're committing yourself to his kingdom and to his will being done in the world. Now, what part do we have to play in that? What part do we have as far as that's concerned uh, in his uh, will being done, in his kingdom coming? Well, that's what we're here for. Listen, it's wonderful for you to have communion with God, but you know that you're going to have better communion with him in heaven than you ever had on this earth? For eternity, you're going to have communion. You're going to enjoy his presence forever and ever. I'm looking forward to it, aren't you? I'm ready, Lord, right? There's lots that needs to be done first, but I'm I'm ready, Lord. What about petitions, Uh, getting your needs met? Well, you know what? In heaven, he's just going to meet all your needs. Every need of your heart and every need of your life. But what about here on earth? What can you do for God here on earth. What are you going to do to actually achieve uh, for God on this planet? What, what are you going to do uh, uh, as far as serving God on this earth? Well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be getting involved in his kingdom work, in his will being done, in, in his kingdom coming. You're going to get yourself involved in that. Intercession is where we become allies to God in this great warfare. We become allies with him. Do you you realize that 
God did not create the world just so he could feed people. And that sounds silly when I say it, doesn't it? But God didn't create the world so that he could feed people. That, that's not, listen, feeding people is nothing to God. You know, God did not create the world so that he could have <clears throat> 7 billion people now, what, 14 billion people through all time. He did not create the world so that he could have people. Why did God create the world? You know, he, he didn't create the world just so that, you know, he could look at it. He knew what he could do. And by the way, if you think this world is beautiful, what do you think heaven's like? What do you think his home is like? Right? <clears throat> he didn't create it just because it was... Why did he create it? He created it because he wants people. Now, he doesn't just want any old people. He loves any old people. But what does he want from people? Well, he wants people to choose him. He wants people to come to a place in their lives where they choose him above all else. He wants people to come to a place in their lives where they put their faith and their trust in him because he saved them. And then they give themselves to him. He wants people who of their own choice choose to walk with him and walk away from Satan. Now you say, how do you know that? Well, that's evident through Scripture. But how does that work? I don't know. I don't understand. But it's very very clear from Scripture that what God is doing. You know, when God commissioned Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, he, he gave him this interesting commission. He, he told him he was going to send him unto the Gentiles, right? And he told them this, to turn them from the power of Satan unto the power of God. He sent him out to actually bring a people from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. And that's what he wants. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people to choose him. Now, why did you choose him? Why in that day that you, that you made your choice for him? Why did you choose him? Well, you know what? It may have been fairly selfish. You know, somehow you recognized you were going to hell like I did, and you said, I don't want to go to hell. I, don't, I want to go to heaven. I deserve hell, but I want to go to heaven. And so you cried out to him, and he saved you. Right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> but, but what happened since then? You know, <clears throat> what, what, what we have... Very often in a church is, you'll have a lot of people that are just going along for the ride, aren't they? Oh, I am saved, I'm going to heaven, that's great. I just want to keep my nose clean uh, and live a good life and be happy until I get to glory. And listen, you'll get to glory because he made you a promise. But you know what? You're living way beneath your purpose. That's not the purpose he had for you. Well, what does he want you to do? What does he want you to achieve? Well, he wants you to get be, be part of this commission that he gave <clears throat> to Paul. And part of that commission, I mean, if, if we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, the life of the Apostle Paul is a life of warring against the enemy. He went up against him, and he went up against him, and he went up against him. But you know what? Paul won. Paul kept winning. Paul would go into town, and he'd walk away from town with a thriving church in town. Paul would go into town and he'd, and, he, and he'd preach the gospel and the gospel would go forth and after a while you'd hear the whole region heard the gospel. Paul won that. Now how did Paul win? Because Paul was just a little man like you and I. Paul wasn't anything special. You say, well, well, he was well trained. You know what? We've got people in this room that are well trained. He wasn't well trained in the things of God according to Jesus Christ. He was well uh, trained in the Jewish religion. <laughs> you know, that, that, that wasn't what made Paul 
powerful. Let, let, me, let, let me read you what S.D. Gordon says. <clears throat> uh, Satan refuses to acknowledge his defeat. Secondly, he refuses to surrender his dominion until he must. He yields only part and when he must. Thirdly, he is supported by man. Two thoughts there. He yields only part and when he must. Why does Satan yield? Why does Satan give up some ground? Why does Satan give up some soul? Because he's forced to. Because somebody says, no, you're not having it. And some soul says, yes, Lord. And trusts him and he gets saved. And Satan gives up without wanting to. But he has to give up. When it comes to this warfare, when it comes to us winning a battle for God, when it comes to us uh, taking ground for God, we need to understand that. That you know what? You know, listen, God's won the victory. But he wants you to get involved. He wants you to come to the place where you're getting involved. Now, there's several things you're going to think, right? First of all, okay, I'll talk to people about the gospel this week, right? Now, but the problem for you is you've talked to people about the gospel before, haven't you? And you're a bit discouraged, Because when you talk to them, rarely do they actually respond in the way you expect them to. Isn't that the truth? When you talk to them, what happens in their lives is they tend to look at you and they tend to think you've got two heads and and they go back to doing their own thing. So so how how can that help the situation? Well, you see, the the, the reason why they don't get saved is because the enemy's involved. Because he's taking ground and he's not likely to give it up. And if you and I are going to see people saved, what's going to happen is we're going to have to win spiritual victory. Now what do I mean by that? I mean we're going to have to pray. You mean, you say, but pray how? I do pray. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to engage. We're going to have to come to the place where it becomes important. We're going to have to come to the place where we recognize what the enemy is doing in the situation and we begin to push where we begin to recognize what, where he's holding people, and we begin to push against him. And we begin to say, no, you're not having this one. And we begin to go to battle for souls. Now, if we will go to battle for souls like that and push the enemy off, you know what? It's a different day when it comes to the gospel for them. You know, revival is something that happens in the church, always. You can't revive that which has never been alive. Right? <clears throat> revival is not something that happens to lost people. Revival is something that happens to saved people. Right? <clears throat> that that's just makes sense. Okay? Now you say, but hang on a minute, Pastor. Every time there's a revival, we, think we, we hear about the numbers of souls that get saved. We hear about thousands, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of people getting saved every time we hear of revival. So, so what's the deal there? What happens is when the church gets revived... The church gets in the battle and pushes the enemy back. That's what happens in revival. And when you push the enemy back, you, you, you hear these glorious stories like, like you hear in Lewis that the people are going to the police station uh, because they feel like there's something wrong and they, and they need to get it right. And can the police help them to, uh, to get things right in their lives? You, you, you hear story. Why? Because the enemy's been pushed back. His power has been pushed out of the situation. You see, if we're ever going to see God do anything great in Ireland, somebody or some bodies 
are going to have to come to the place where they push the enemy back. Now you say, what does that mean? We're going to have to, in prayer, come to the place where we can do that. We're going to have to, in prayer, come to the place where, you know, this, this is important. This is real. Individually and collectively, there's going to have to be prayer meetings, but it's, it's got to be. You see, <clears throat> the thing is, the enemy holds the ground. He's a defeated foe. He must yield it to us. But we have to engage him and push him back. And when we push him back, what we find is, we find is the Spirit of God takes the ground. And you know what? The gospel is the most sensible thing I've ever done in my life. Isn't that true? The day you trusted Jesus Christ, that was the most, the, the most reasonable and sensible thing you ever did in your life. Oh. Now, I, I don't think I'm an intellect that, that kind of just worked it out. That that's, I, I just know it's very simple. I was a sinner. I was going to hell. <clears throat> I deserved hell, but Jesus Christ died to pay the price for my sins. And if I would call out to him, if I would trust him, he would save me. You know what? Hey, I want that. When the enemy gets pushed back, almost everybody wants that. You know why they don't see? Because they're blinded. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4, because he hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's why they can't see. Now listen, you can, you can talk to blind people about the beauties of a flower. And, and, and they may get something of it, but you know what? They're not going to have any idea if they've never seen what a flower is. What's got petals? What's a petal? Well, a petal's kind of a, it's kind of, you know, a, uh, it's a shape. How do you explain now, I'm sure there are people that can do a better job on it than I can do it, but you can't explain the beauty of a flower to somebody who's blind. And you know what? When the enemy is blind in their minds, there's not a chance that we're going to get across to them the beauty of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. The enemy needs to be pushed back. See, the problem is <clears throat> not that people won't it's not even that people can't. It's that they don't even see. And the battle needs to be won in the heavenlies. The enemy needs to be pushed back. You know, in 1916, and it's all over the place right now, we're going to be hearing lots about it in the, in the weeks to come. What you had was you had, you had a handful of men who decided that England was no longer going to rule in Ireland. Right? That's, that's what they decided. They decided they weren't going to wear this, they weren't going to have this anymore, they were going to push, and they were going to sacrifice themselves, if it took it, uh, to change that situation. Now, you can look at the situation, and you can think it's madness, it was craziness, and maybe it was all those things, but you know what? At the heart of it, a handful of men decided we're going to change this situation. And they did. Ultimately, it worked out that the situation changed because of what they did. Do you know what happens spiritually when God's people decide we're not taking this anymore? We're going to push against the enemy. We're going to push against the enemy no matter what it takes. We're going to push against the enemy no matter what it costs. We're going to push. Do you know what happens? What always happens? Victory. You see, you can't go out and unblind them. Wouldn't it be nice if you could walk through Tala, which is the magic wand, and wave it and the, you know, the stardust would go hither and yon and people would, oh, see the gospel you can't do that you can't win them by the power of your words you've tried it 
What needs to happen is the enemy needs to be pushed back. But we need to engage in the warfare. Oh yes, we need communion. We need to talk to God and we need to, we need to get our souls full and we need to walk with him and enjoy his presence. And yes, we need our needs met. We need petition. But we need to go to war. We need to go to war. We need to say no. He's not having it all his own way. Jesus Christ has given us this ground <clears throat> and we're not letting it continue on the way it has been. We're going to step in and we're going to go to war with the enemy. And you know what? If you do that, I think God would teach you how to war. I think you could come to the place where you could see great things. If you would just come to the place where you say, no, the enemy's not having it all his own way. He's not having my family. He's not having Tala. He's not having Ireland. I think if you would come to the place where you would say, this is over, I think there'd be a reaction from him. But you know what? I think you would win. Why? Because Jesus already won the battle. Let me close with a quote from S.D. Gordon. Now prayer is this. <clears throat> and man on the earth, with <clears throat> his life in, in full touch with the victor, and out of touch with the pretender prince, that's Satan, insistently claiming that Satan shall yield before Jesus' victory. Step by step, life after life, Jesus is the victor. Satan knows it and fears him. He must yield before his advance, and he must yield before this man who stands for Jesus down on earth. And he will yield, reluctantly, angrily, as slowly as may be, stubbornly, uh, as slowly as may be, stubbornly contesting every inch of ground. His clutches will loosen, and he will be, go before this Jesus. You know what? You could change the world. You could turn the world around. You could do it. Not because you're anything great. That's not one of the requirements. But you know what? You do have to get involved. You do have to get involved. There has to be that place where you say, hang on a minute. I'm not just going to live the good life, because I think the Christian life's a good life. I'm not just going to live for me and, and to be happy and to enjoy everything. I'm going to get involved in this thing. I'm going to get involved in the battle. I'm, go I'm going to start claiming ground for Jesus Christ. Start in your own life. Don't leave many ground in your life. Is there sin there? Listen, claim the power of Jesus Christ to defeat it and walk away from it. Right? <clears throat> Deal with that. Be in full touch with your God. And then start taking ground from Satan. And here you are, a little man or woman, Nothing special about you. There doesn't have to be. If you start pushing Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, he will yield to you, because he must. You see, that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who will begin to push so that Satan can yield, so that the Spirit of God can take the ground. You say, why doesn't he just do it himself? Because this is the way he's planned it. I don't know anything else to say to you. This is the way he's planned it. He wants you involved. He wants you walking with him, his arms, his hands, his feet on this planet, pushing the enemy back. And as you push, he will fill the ground. 
and souls will get saved and the heart of God will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for this people. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, we're looking to you and depending upon you this morning. Lord, we have no power of our own, but Lord, you have great power. Blessed Spirit of the living God, uh, even to take on board these truths, Lord, is impossible for us apart from you. Blessed Spirit, would you, would you work in hearts and lives? Would you deal with your children? Uh, would you bring us to that place, Lord, where we actually take on the battle and get involved and see victory? Let's all stand quietly to our feet. We're going to have the piano play, and as the piano play, it's going to give you an opportunity to do business with God. If you're going to enter into the battle, would you tell him? Would you just talk to him about that right now? You can come forward if you want to. You can do it where you stand. But if you're going to enter into the battle and you're going to be in that place where you're going to get involved and you're going to push Satan back, expecting God to do it, would you just talk to him and tell him right now where you stand?